Hello, everyone. This is your host, Manoj Tandon. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. Today, we have a fantastic guest, Greg Tomchik, with us. And he is a first as well because he's the first professional athlete that we've had on the show. Um, we've had a laughter yoga coach, Greg, but you are the first professional <laughs> athlete and just so you guys know, he played ball for three seasons in the minor leagues with the St. Louis Cardinals. He is also an author of the book, Growing Into You. He is has a driven passion for cybersecurity that stems from a personal experience that he's going to talk about here uh, in a little bit with, uh, with a former company of his. Uh, he's a currently the partner, a partner and CEO at Valor. Uh, Valor focuses on identifying, mitigating cyber threats up front and when necessary, countering cyber attacks with a targeted and strategic set of responses. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you. Manoj, great to be here with you. Looking forward to diving in here. Ah, likewise, likewise. Um, and, and there's actually quite a bit to talk about. I, I don't know if we're going to get through everything, but hey, that leaves uh, room for coming back and, you know, letting enlightening our audience a little bit more. So I got to tell you, we, we all got to start with the, with the story. You're a professional ball player, right? And uh, professional ball player is a chasm apart from being a cybersecurity executive and entrepreneur. How, <laughs> how, why, <laughs> what's the origin here? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been a long windy road. Um, you know, grew, grew up, uh, grew up in a military family. So kind of had a defense mindset background, um, which really brings me into today, but always looked at sports and eventually baseball as the potential opportunity to pave a different career. Um, so, you know, long bloodline of military, um, background, you know, my dad's dad, my mom's dad, they all kind of joined the military throughout their journey. And I wanted to kind of take a path that allowed me to be the person who could open eyes to different career paths. Um, baseball became the passion, played all kinds of sports. Um, you know, really baseball became kind of my childhood dream. The goal I kept going after, you know, put school aside, you know, didn't want to learn anything. It was baseball. And, and that was really it, you know, watching it, playing it, practicing it, you know, doing everything under the sun to be the best possible player that I could be. Um, I also had a, a, a older brother who played in the Kansas okay. city Royal system. So we, you know, always looked up to him from a young age, um, you know, had a great experience in professional baseball and met a lot of great people, um, was able to run a run a software company while I was playing that I started out of uh, college. Oh. And, and that kind of led me to the technology space, which the origin of that is I was an economics major in college. I was able to you know, look at the economy as a multidimensional um, ecosystem that when things okay. came together, um, in the right order and fashion, they were able to create successful outcomes. I saw technology as a huge piece of that for the future. Um, and that's why uh, we, we ended up creating a company called Incubation Technologies, which we'll, we'll get into uh, here shortly regarding the cyber attack. That, that's a fantastic story. And you're dispelling a lot of myths and telling us that. I mean, most people think professional athletes, economics, entrepreneurship, starting technology, those things are incongruent, uh, but it's really about applying yourself and, and you're able to do that consistently at a very high level, which is, uh, which is great. And I hope it's inspiring to some of the people listening. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the goal. I think it's about serving others and you know, I want to use my experience to leave leave other people better off. So, you know, tell us about this first company that you started this incubation technologies. What what did you guys do there? What was Yeah, so when I was a uh, junior in college at Old Dominion University here in Norfolk, Virginia, um, they started an entrepreneurship program. I was very interested at that time in how businesses worked, how the economy worked. And I wanted to go out and help folks with the knowledge that I had. Um, I recruited a bunch of folks from the computer science um, department at the, at the college. And I wanted to help startup and growing companies develop and use technology to grow their business. Um, okay. At that time in the ecosystem, there were very few and far between software development companies in our area that weren't focused on defense, more on the private side. Um, so we basically went out to the market and said, you have a business idea, we'll develop the technology, we'll get you on the right path to be an innovator in your space, utilizing technologies. And that was really the premise of it. Um, you know, we were able to serve quite a few clients, grew to about 15 folks on the team. Um, wow. you know, we, we had a financial person. We had kind of the whole structure that when you look at a company, we had it um, at least forming at that time. Um, but, you know, as we'll talk about here shortly, we were very focused on developing technology and not securing the technology because we were so inundated with the, the benefits and all the good stuff that technology was doing that we never looked at the downside and what the risk could be of, of the technologies that we were developing. And and you know what? That is a very common story, though. You were not alone in that approach. If you just experientially or anecdotally um, from being in the business, what we have seen is a many companies with good intent. There's no malice, no ill intent. It's the pressures of bringing a product to market. It is the investments that have been made and the expectations on the returns that become the primary driving factors of the development process. And one of the first things that gets sacrificed is the look into security in a lot of these things, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an afterthought for most until something happens and they can emotionally resonate with it, um, which we've seen time and time again. And why is that though? I mean, intuitively, we all know, if you look at the amount of marketing that's done on cyber just by the regular everyday media. I mean, every day there's a story in the Washington Post or on CNN or Fox News, whatever your flavor of news is, about something that that went wrong. Yet we still have that mindset. Why is that so? What are your or what do you why do you think? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different dynamics at play. I think a lot of times cybersecurity is looked at as a very confusing topic, as opposed to the way we look at an industry that, you know, it's pretty simple. You have these areas, you know, you have critical assets, these need to be secured. Um, you know, it like you said, Manoj, it all comes down to the mindset. And if we don't train our executives and our leaders to have the right mindset on when they're going out and innovating and, and, and incorporating new projects into their organization, what are the potential risks of us doing this for the business, not just from a financial standpoint, but from a organization enterprise standpoint? A lot of times it's a, you know, a point solution. Maybe they plug in, you know, an EDR to one section of their company and right. they don't span it throughout the whole organization. So it, it comes down to culture. It comes down to us as practitioners, you know, being able to translate and be put in those situations by those leaders. And then, you know, building trust throughout that relationship is, is, is key as well. And coming to mindset, 
you know, you, you were a professional athlete. How did that mindset help in your efforts as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, when I first got into cybersecurity, a lot of the questions I would be asked was exactly that, you know, you were a professional athlete, you know, it it was a connector point. It was, you know, what would, what could we use as an organization that you used to, to um, excel at athletics in our business? And most right. of the time, those conversations were either around technology improvements or cybersecurity. So a lot of them are, you know, accountability, the team mentality. So it's all about the people at the end of the day. Um, you can't do anything great alone. I learned that in baseball. I was a pitcher. So I would stand on the middle, middle of the field with the ball um, and, and think about throwing it to the catcher. And if the catcher wasn't there, you know, the, the people are running all over the bases. So it just instilled that, you know, you need somebody there to support you and you can't do it alone. And, and when you think you can do it alone, um, you're probably going to get stuck in a wrong, wrong corner at some point in time. And then, and then just the continual learning piece, uh, baseball, just like cybersecurity, it's, it's evolving so rapidly with information and data and technology that you have to be able to be adaptable and to learn and see patterns along kind of the journey you're going, you're going uh, from that standpoint. So that's a couple lessons, but um, you know, when, all, when it all comes down to it, um, we're all looking to execute and take action. Um, and if we can do that in an informed way, um, you know, like you guys do for your clients and like we, we do here at Valor, you, know, you put them in a better position at the end of the day. And you know, I couldn't have said it any better. And for those listening, um, the team approach in cyber is very, very critical. Uh, we can tell you that there's, there's not, at least in our experience, there's not one role or one function that rules the day. It is the combination of all of them that brings to bear your ability to prevent, detect, respond, recover, as the case may be. Absolutely. Right, right? and that uh, and. Being able to find those patterns, oh man, that's a whole, we could do an entire episode on that. That, that is a deep, deep, deep topic. But you kind of went into this firsthand. So what, you guys got uh, a cyber attack on you at Incubation Technologies. What happened? Yeah, so we had a cyber attack before I knew what a cyber attack actually was, which is kind of a, a, a fire um, you know, under you to be able to drive you toward action. So um, started in 2014, we were about, you know, two years into the business. As I mentioned, you know, we had, we had a couple good clients. We had, you know, folks on our team. We had individuals supporting the operation. Uh, We had a SQL injection attack, which is basically where somebody is able to destruct or um, impact a database um, that data is stored within. We put a lot of our critical data um, in a database that ran a lot of the websites and softwares that we were developing. Um, and a threat actor you know, was able to find that database and basically corrupt it, which pushed bad content to those applications and, and the database. So, um, you know, in the, in the moment, um, it's the fire has started. We don't know how to put it out. You know, where do we look? And basically, you know, I tried all different angles um, throughout the community to try to find somebody to put out the fire in a timely manner. I couldn't find any, any organizations in our area that specialized in instant response. That was kind of my light bulb moment on leaders need somebody to be an advisor to them both before, during and after a cyber attack. Um, obviously, you had the, you know, the big four companies that you know, would help, um, but we really wanted somebody who could deploy immediately. Um, we didn't have cyber insurance. We didn't have the right things in place. Um, so as I go, went out to the market and said, I want to solve this problem you know, with, with other great folks um, and make sure that 
if it happens to somebody else, they know they can call somebody, whether it's us or, you know, organizations that, you know, we partner with or, um, you know, know to call their cyber insurance. You know, that's huge for us uh, these days. So I want to make sure that I put people in a better position and organizations in a better position to not be where I was at that time. And that's a very noble thought. Um, let, let me ask you, uh, had you at the time had uh, a much be better disaster recovery plan, do you think that would have been enough to, because we get, and the reason I ask this, a lot of small businesses, uh, they, they're under the impression, well, I got a backup. So even if we get hit, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the three, two, one approach. So making sure that, you know, you have offline backups, you have backups that are retrievable in someone else's house and then backups in your own house. I yeah. think if we would have had backups, sophisticated backups in place, we probably would have been much better off. It would have minimized some of the costs, the, the timeliness that the time we lost and then the reputational damage. Um, we would have been able to get back online quicker um, it's, it's funny you ask that because when I first got into cybersecurity, I had one of my, one of my mentors recommend that I go to business continuity training before getting any cybersecurity certifications, okay. because at the end of the day, cybersecurity is business continuity. It yes, ensures it the continuity of operations of the company. So that was able to establish my mindset on that frame of thought, which helped me relate to the executive because that's what they're mainly concerned about. Some of the more technical aspects of cybersecurity, they, they either get angry when they hear it or they're just like, I can't get that deep in the weeds because I have a you yes. know, financial meeting coming up. Um, so kind of having that mindset has really helped me and, and the team resonate with the folks that we serve um, on at the board level and, and the executive team. You know, it's it's uh, what what you're describing has been said by many guests on this show that what that one of the big challenges in our industry and amongst our colleagues is that. There is a, a huge focus on tech, and a lot of times folks are going to the decision makers with a view to technology or describing if we need this and this is our next silver bullet, but they really are asking for a budget for uh, a trinket, a silver bullet. They're not asking for budget in terms of a solution that can really secure an organization in terms of reputational losses, which you talked about, uh, legal losses, financial losses. And that's really what the business cares about, right? Yeah. And Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, what, what are they emotionally attached to and what do they prioritize on a daily basis? And it's exactly that. They don't prioritize technology. They prioritize they the strategy around that technology. Exactly. So do you think that a lot of our colleagues, and I'm going to use that word, our colleagues understand that cybersecurity is a business problem and not an IT problem? Yes. I mean, I see it all, all around the ecosystem, whether at a conference on LinkedIn, you know, having conversations in the market. I think everybody gets it, but it comes down to actually implementing and, yes. and speaking to that mindset. And when somebody at the executive level says, that does not make sense. That can be very discouraging to the plan you had, you know, when you went into the room. So it's, you know, you don't know what you're going to do until you get knocked or you know what you're going to do until you get knocked down. And when you get knocked down, are you able to have the resilience to be able to get back up and continue the conversation in a positive manner? Is there such a thing as hundred percent cybersecurity? 
that someone could sell an executive mm. I, I would say no um you know one of the one of the best most frequent questions we get is how secure are we um, a lot of the cyber yeah. threat assessments and cyber risk assessments we do they want to get to that answer you know on a scale of one to a hundred how secure are we most of the time we won't give a specific number um, we come back with the question on how much do you care about security when it comes to your business priorities? Is it the first priority or is it the hundredth priority? And we basically give the score based off of that because, you know, how much you care often tells how secure you are at the end of the day when it comes to cybersecurity. That's brilliant. That that was worth the price of entry for this. I, I think that's a that's a gem. Um, I've never heard anybody describe it that way, but it's absolutely correct. I mean, we can do all the uh, analysis we want and come up with various risk simulations and models. But at the end of the day, you know, what the simulation output is relative to what the priority is. So it's really, where do you stand with this thing? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's right? a, it's a very interesting dynamic when it comes down to it. It's a little bit psychological, but I saw that in baseball where folks on, on the team would come to the coach and say, you know, how do I compare to other people in my position? And a lot of times the right coaches would say, how much do you care and how much do you study and practice in order to become that player that you want to be? And some, most of the time, if they're asking that question, it's, you know, I don't practice. I just want to be there already, as opposed to kind of putting the legwork in to, to get to that skill set. Yeah, well, if you don't mm -hmm. do the work. You're not going to get the results. But Absolutely. that that is... Uh... That, that's a very, very good observation. How, how much cybersecurity is enough then? I guess that's a relative answer as well, because there is a point of diminishing returns I, yeah. at some point. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think you can have all of the right tools and strategies in place, but it has to be right-sized for the organization with where they're at and then where they're headed. So you have to kind of find a balance between the kind of the 2B and, and, and the what is currently in that environment and find out the best way to secure the organization along that journey. Um, and that's why we look at things from a maturity, um, you know, maturity steps as we build a program. So it's tangible, you know, you start at zero, you, you know, go to 0.5, you get to a one, you know, you, you have a little bit of a, you know, party, you know, we got, we got to this point, you know, we took the first step and, and we're now at a more secure state than we were, but we're going to continue to move the ball forward, move the needle forward to become more secure. And when, when, when business folks look at that, they understand maturity models and how things kind of improve as you take certain steps. Um, but if they don't have that context, you know, they don't know what, what is really enough at the end of the day because it's not being mapped to the business priority. So a lot of times we start our conversations with the business department heads and say, how can you better secure your business processes and what would, what would be an ideal win at the end of this process? You know, a lot of times they have all the answers, but they're not being piped up to the people who are making the decisions. So I was going to say, walk us through, like if we were clients of Valor's, what, how would this engagement start? What, what are you looking for? You just mentioned one critical piece of information. You know, what are you trying to secure and what is it worth to you? I'm paraphrasing. But how does, how does your process flow? Yeah, so we start everything with some type of assessment. You know, it could be it could either be called a cyber threat assessment, cyber risk assessment, or compliance readiness. It depends on what the hot topic is for the executive team at that time. But our process is pretty consistent across all of those different assessments. Um, we go in, talk to the executive team, understand what their business priorities are, 
um, we go to the the business department leaders or the the unit leaders and kind of figure out do their priorities align um, from what they are looking at as the business's next step. Um, you know, we interview folks, we have conversations. That's a big thing. Um, you know, I think in the in the GRC space that when you have a tool, it's great. But when you can talk to people and feel their emotions and feel what what they're attached to and what makes the business thrive, then you can really focus on protecting not just a system or a technology, but maybe it's a um, it's a it's a people um, aspect that you need to be able to address up front. So I think it all comes down to the right sizing of it. Um, obviously, we deliver reports, we give presentations to the board, um, we do instant response tabletops and develop plans and procedures. But it really all starts with, you know, whenever we get asked, where should I start? You know, basically, the answer is just get started, you know, in, in that direction and, and have folks at the table that can help steer the ship as you need to make changes. You brought up talking to the people and looking at what inspires them or what's relevant to them. As part of your exercise, is bringing the people into a cybersecurity program a big part of what you folks offer, or do you get the information and then let processes and technologies kind of take over and the people don't know much about cyber? That yeah, it's, it's absolutely the first, uh, the first one as far as you know, finding those champions from the business side that can help carry the message. If, the, if you're the only one hitting on the nail all day and everybody's just watching you hit on the nail, they're like, we don't want any part of that. But once they see that it spans the whole organization and, and that the leaders are on board and buy into this initiative, it changes the landscape. And we've seen that many times where, you know, we'll do an assessment and following our assessment, they'll form some type of security committee to continue these conversations, you know, after the assessment's done. And it really gets people involved in every part of the business, not at the weeds of the operations, but how do we strategize and manage the organization as a whole and do it at, in the subject matter experts that each of those individuals in the room are. Um, so, you know, you have to bring people together to accomplish anything. I think cybersecurity is really no different. And I think it's more vital right. to accomplish something because cybersecurity impacts every single key point of the organization. So a uh, couple questions there. Um, one is in your approach, uh, let's say that the, there is a cybersecurity committee that's come into existence and, and you have um, champions that are, that are very much for the cause and, and want to make it happen. But one of the things that we have seen is that there's inadvertently friction created between the folks who are operating on a day-to-day -day basis and quote-unquote cybersecurity people because they're often viewed as the team of no. Everything is a no. They're cops. They say no to everything. So what happens operationally is they're like, well, I got a job to do. At the end of the day, the cybersecurity stuff's nice. And if I have to go do my own thing and create my own shadow IT thing to go do it, guess what? <laughs> That's what I'm doing. How do you avoid that trap? Yeah, I think it takes a little bit of humor, um, a little bit of culture, a little bit of, you know, bringing it to the personal level. Um, you know, whenever somebody gets emotionally attached to anything, they have to have story around it. So you have to start with a story either around the company or the story that you're trying to create with how the future state of the organization will be. Um, so I think it starts with a story. 
Um, I worked for a big law firm doing some doing some work a couple years ago, and the CISO was implementing multi-factor, and he would walk around the halls and he would do this just as two-factor, yeah, just as a, yeah, a, a just as a mocking the people in the hallway because he knew as a law firm they all looked at him as a disabler of what they were trying to do. So he brought a little bit of right. humor into it. Um, and it, it actually created a better outcome at the end of it because a lot of people looked at him as he has humor. He wants to work with us. Um, he, he tells a story around, you know, what the organization wants to get to. And it's all of our responsibility to help him get there. So he had this whole team behind him at the end to be able to help him champion his you know, mission and journey up to the board level. And, you know, it's, it's a successful outcome at the end of the day when you're able to do that. Well, that's a great segue into the next question then. And that is, you know, you yourself are a CEO and an executive. What actionable advice would you give to other CEOs and leaders on what they should be doing when they're looking at reducing their digital risk? In a sense? Yeah, yeah, I think back to the point of just getting started. Um, a lot of folks are still, you know, on their heels when it comes to just getting started. They're seeing all the stuff in the news. You know, they're getting, they're hearing it from their their people. Um, the other executives are mentioning that it's a, you know, one of the largest risks they're facing today, and they don't know what the first step is. So I think it's a little bit of the practitioner, um, you know, putting the the a couple of first step options in front of them, which I think happens. Um, but it has to happen in the right the right form and fashion. You know, maybe that's going to present to you know a conference, and they see you, and they you know they they believe in your strategy of going about it, and and that's where cybersecurity I think is still very young, in that a lot of firms in cybersecurity still serve everybody. Um, they don't say you know we are a cybersecurity company that serves you know, healthcare organizations only because we know everybody has this problem. There's a, a blue ocean of opportunity to help, you know, multiple industries, multiple organizations. Right. I think when we're able to mature as an as an industry, and you have more of those niche firms that focus on specific verticals, and then you hear them at conferences saying, for a medium-sized healthcare company, here's the first step you should take if you haven't taken a first step yet. For example, um, so I think that's critical. You know, taking the first step to do you know multi-factor user training, just kind of get the ball rolling. And then you start to le have lessons learned, you start to implement additional, and you move along that maturity scale um, to help your organization be in a better um, protection state. You know, I think you know, the assessment piece is, is obviously one of those first steps a lot of organizations take. Let me get do an assessment with an expert or folks internally to understand you know, how our business processes de uh, depend on technology and how technology is utilized throughout those business processes. And then come up with some type of, of criticality scale so that you can prioritize what to protect. And then it comes down to putting in the plan in place, you know, how you're going to respond if that asset is taken down, how you're going to respond if somebody clicks on a link and, you know, it blows up your system uh, virtually. What about the executive team that's saying, look, we just want to do enough. We get it. It's, this is all good. We got to do stuff, but we just want to check the box. We need to get SOC 2 compliance, or we want to go CMMC, whatever the case may be, you know, we want to check the box for compliance and that's yeah. it. Yeah. We, I what? mean, I, yeah, I would say 75% of, of organizations are still in that state, which is, which is unfortunate. Um, but cybersecurity compliance, I believe is really a forcing function to get people to act. It incentivizes them to act. Um, and until each industry has its own 
requirement. It's going to be kind of the wild, wild west where you have, you know, five compliance standards. You're trying to align with all of them. You know, they're all five different spreadsheets. They're, it's not That's coordinated. impossible. Yeah, yep, exactly. Um, so, that, you know, that's it. Yeah. And we've seen it like uh, so many compliant companies get breached. I mean, good compliance rarely equates to good cybersecurity, whereas good cyber or infosec generally results in an outcome of good compliance. Yes, it does. And that, that's that's the approach we encourage folks to take, even if they've had a compliance mindset, you know, coming into where they currently are you know, leveraging compliance to protect the business. The regulators want you to protect the business so it protects the supply chain, but the businesses have to meet in the middle with those regulators and say, we're actually doing more than you're recommending. Why don't you bring your standards up to speed with where the actual threat landscape is um, at the end of the day? That's why I really believe in, in kind of the CMMC model when it comes to using that as a standard across the, the government, for example, because it's based off of something you know, the NIST framework that a lot right. of organizations still look at as the best practice. And when they come in without a compliance standard, they often go after the NIST cybersecurity framework or, you know, the CIS top 18. Um, sure. So it's, it's one of those things where we have to meet in the middle. Um, it's, it's obviously there's some issues on both sides of it. Um, but the, you know, the regulators potentially need to do a better job of incentivizing and recognizing and a rewarding companies that are doing a little bit more, um, to protect their business and overall um, protect the supply chain, which is their goal at the end of the day. When we were researching Valor, it was interesting. One of the things that came up that we have rarely seen on other people's literature is that you folks are, you indicate a proactive response to a potential, uh, to a ongoing cyber attack. That proactive side, what does that look like? What does that actually mean? Yeah, so the so it's it's kind of the before the fire starts and then if the fire starts. So I think from the before the fire starts, it's it's all of the stuff that helps prepare the team for a potential incident. So it's the instant response planning, you know, business continuity, making sure the backups are in place. A lot of times when it comes to countermeasures, you know, when an attack is taking place. Yeah. Um, early on in my career, I was able to work for an incident response team and, and learn kind of what the different roles in an incident com comes into play. And I really attached to kind of the incident commander role where you're able to kind of see all the different pieces, the coverage they have in place, you know, the technologies they have in place, um, you know, some of the immediate actions they've mapped out. You know what the insurance company is saying, what the lawyer is saying. It becomes a whirlwind for the executive on who do I listen to, you know what should I do here. Um, so kind of having that one person or one team that they can go to and say, "Here's the incident we're having. Can you help us triage it and coordinate and take the right immediate steps to minimize the impact?" Um, is really the role we've been able to be put into um, in quite a few instances. Um, it, it all comes down to whenever we talk about proactive, it's prioritizing, you know, having that prioritization scheme of systems and taking a proactive approach to prioritizing how you go about, um, you know, putting that fire out when an incident starts, um, you know, it gets complicated when an incident starts, you know, right. nobody knows what to do. Everybody's bouncing off the wall. You know, how do you use what you've done proactively to put you in a better position when that incident happens? Um, and that's really where we kind of sit when we talk about, you know, proactive before an incident and proactive during because you've done the right things before to set you up to be 
more successful than you would be otherwise um, during an incident. So what are some of the primary threat actors and threat factors that you have helped counter or have encountered over and over again? Some, some things that you see on an ongoing basis. Yeah, so I think a couple things for, uh, for threat actors and threat vectors is just establishing the, the fact that businesses deliver products and services just like the adversary does to make money at the end of the day. So, you know, they're working all day to make money by disrupting those products and services. And the business that's on the other end of that is just focused on building and, and selling their products and services. So if, if that mindset can be taken into this situation, it shows that there's two people working, you know, really the threat actor is, is working way ahead of the business and they, you know, they hit the wall, they go through the organization, yep. they find a way to leverage that to make money. Um, a lot of what we see nowadays is adversaries purchasing malware and ransomware softwares. You know, they can click a button once they're in a network and, and you know, it goes off. And that just makes the barrier to entry much lower. And if, if the benefit to them is, is higher for them than getting a job in cybersecurity, they're going to stay in that you know, criminal uh, threat actor type role. Um, which which is pretty scary. You know, I think from a vector standpoint, the biggest one that I see, which has been a theme over the last two, three years, is really the vendor supply chain type attacks. Organizations often yeah. don't look at their vendors as a risk. They look at them as just the enabler, like I did when I was, you know, in a software development hat yeah. role. And, you know, they don't look at them as a, a risk to actually their business processes, which is which has really allowed the threat actor to say, Let's just go in through the vendors, you know, solar winds, the Caseas, um, the Colonial Pipeline to, to create destruction. And we can take down not just one, but you know, far beyond that and, and disrupt entire supply chains. I, and that gets to the whole thing of third party risk. So what do you do? So, again, if you're if you're making widgets and, you know, a key component of that widget is coming from a five or 10 person shop. You know, they don't. Their definition of cyber, I'm just painting the scenario, is let's put McAfee or Symantec on the endpoint. And that's our cybersecurity program, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Well, I can't make it up. This is it, it happens all the time. Yes, it does. What, what, as, and they're a key supplier, they're making a critical component. How do you control that? Like, how, how do you mitigate for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the mindset, both personally and professionally, that questions are the best answers. So I think it just takes folks to ask the right questions to their vendors and for the vendors to kind of, you know, shrink their ego a little bit and ask the right questions to the people they're selling to. You know, what do you value from a security perspective and using that for their strategy? It's probably going to be secure software development or, you know, some type of annual risk assessment on the code, making sure they're doing real time scanning. Um, things of that nature. But I think the dialogue just really hasn't taken place in a lot of those relationships. Um, and when we go into an organization, do our assessment, that's a huge piece of it. You know, allow us to talk to your vendors, you know, in a non-hectic way. We just want to understand what they're doing, you know, to really help you at the end of the day. But we may be able to help them by making a recommendation on here's what we're seeing in the market. Here's some things you can think about from a secure software development standpoint. And it leaves everybody a, a little bit better off. See, we've seen a lot of fear around that. You know, people are, especially in this day and age, supply chains are already impacted because of what happened in COVID. And then going in and saying, hey, look, let us talk to your vendors. 
a, a lot of folks are like, well, we don't want to disrupt our <laughs> supply chain, right? We, we, we still need to make whatever our product is that we're making. That's what we're here for. Yeah, and are you going to disable that function because our vendor may get scared away, and then then we got to go source this from someplace else? Yeah, I think it it all comes down to context. I think as long as you're not attacking them and saying you're not doing the right things, we need you to do this, as opposed to saying <laughs> you know what are you doing and how is that helping secure our data that's in your system or our attachment to that system? Yeah, I I think that that is absolutely the right approach, and I think the suppliers need to understand that they are a part of the cybersecurity equation. There's no way around it. You look at our electrical electrical grid, which is a favorite topic of mine, but nobody listens. <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> yeah. But, but I'll, I'll go ahead and state it again for the heck of it. Even Ted Koppel wrote a book on it, Lights <laughs> Out, and still yeah. nobody listens. So if yeah. nobody listens to Ted, I don't know who they are. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, a lot of in our distribution network, a lot of what's happening in distribution, they're smaller operators and they are a fantastic conduit into the grid in some way, shape or form. And it doesn't take that much of a disruption at that distribution level to cause a structural malfunction, to be polite about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. people don't understand that no matter what you're doing, I'm picking on the grid, but you could be making sprockets you may not be the target, but General Motors, who's your main client, very well could be the target. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a systematic thing, and that's that's why I enjoy how cybersecurity is looked at, at least by the practitioner side, because it's multiple multiple dimensions coming together um, to improve business and and longevity and protection. Um, at the end of the day, now, do you think, or what's your opinion on the current state of our laws regarding counter offensives? So there's there's a lot of things that we could do, but we can't because our hands are tied. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, it's a, it's a, it's sticky, definitely sticky. It's very sticky. Mm -hmm. it, it really is very sticky. The only, and I'll, I'll give an example: the the state of Ohio. Um, I want to say the Attorney General's office. They've actually on their website they've said, "Go ahead, try and hack us, mm -hmm. and we will not press charges at all." Just share with us what you found mm -hmm. so that we can fix it. So that's, that is just one organization trying to come around some of the rules that prevent us from achieving a much higher level of general cybersec or infosec. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, what, what are your thoughts? Is anything can be yeah. done in that arena that could bolster the nation as a whole? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that sticks out to me there is that, you know, that city, that town, that county is feeling prepared from a cybersecurity perspective and they want to continually improve. We need to get more yes. people who are at that point where they feel prepared and they kind of, you know, their ego goes down a little bit. They want people to help them improve. There's a lot of bug bounty folks who will participate in activities like that in order to help organizations. But when 75% of organizations potentially are not feeling prepared, they're not going to open themselves up to be able to go through challenges like that, um, to be able to kind of more on the offensive side, as opposed to just being defensive and having a wall up um, from that standpoint. And that, I couldn't have said it any better. And that's actually making them less secure though. Yeah. Look, the vulnerability remains. Mm -hmm. Whether I find it or a bad guy finds it, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. It, 
that vulnerability remains and it's now becomes exploitable by somebody. Yeah, it just goes back to the physical side. You know, a lot of the relatability we take cyber into, you know, we look at it as kind of a converged model. But if you can relate a physical aspect to a more intangible, you know, IT technology type aspect, it, it kind of starts to click on those things. And when you can show, you know, this door has been broken for, you know, six days, somebody, you know, kind of tested every once in a while and you know, somebody was able to get in because it was broken and not seen you can kind of start to get the wheels turning on how the cyber world works, where they're looking for the easy door. And if there aren't any easy doors in your environment, they may go to another environment. So you got to, once you start thinking about it like that, then they're like, let's just make sure all of our doors are locked. And then we can start putting some fire suppression and other types of systems on the internal to kind of protect things from that standpoint. So it starts with, you know, I think from the regulatory standpoint, there needs to be a, you know, if then type, type aspect to it, as opposed to, we're not going to allow you to do any offensive attacks and, and test your you know, measures because it's a threat to the whole ecosystem. Right. Um, so kind of taking that, that no hat off that the regulators are sitting in that seat and saying, no, you can't do that and saying you can do it, but here are the conditions and we understand how things are in, in the ecosystem currently, and we want to help improve them as well. So I think it's just that you know, everybody meeting in the middle and, and rowing in the same direction. Do you have anybody you know in Congress that would hear that message? <laughs> I might. I, I've, I've tossed a few things up there, but uh, nothing's come back yet. So, <laughs> so, so given the current state, uh, how do you see the threat and risk landscape changing over time here? Yeah, I think a couple things. And early on in my career, I heard a lot of people say that the attack methods and the vectors relatively remain the same but the attackers get smarter and more creative on how to execute them and kind of what they look and smell like. Um, so I think from that standpoint, you know, we're going to continue to see attackers use the person, the personal side of their life to get into the organization. We see that a lot at the executive level where they're still using their Gmail, you know, to function the company when they have, you know, hundred people using Microsoft 365. And that's a, a, a gaping hole that, you know, any attacker is looking for. So the personal sure. side and the business side are blending when it comes to digital technologies. And I think that's going to be a huge thing that's, that's going to grow. Um, we're seeing a lot in kind of yeah. the NFT, um, you know, metaverse kind of web three area where yep. people get very excited to be connected to these technologies. They start to introduce them to the business without understanding the risks associated. Um, so we've actually had quite a few conversations on, Here's an innovation your company's looking to have in the Web3 arena to enhance your product or service. How can you do that in a risk-informed fashion? Yep. So That's, a lot of excitement around that aspect. Yeah. And I think we haven't even really scratched the surface on how some of those newer technologies can be can have alternative uses and oh, yeah. be made to do harm <laughs> when they were made to do good. That's how it always starts, but you know. That's yeah. good. So ch changing topics here towards the end here, it, you're an author, you know, you, you wrote the book growing into you, which is a very interesting title. So give us the why behind this. What, what's it about? Yeah. So my co-author and I, Bryce, um, came together throughout my baseball journey. He was in high school at the time. I was just getting out of college, um, you know, in the professional ranks, his family actually hosted me. So when you play in the minor leagues, you get hosted by families in the community and they kind of show you around and, give you a roof over your head. And one of the things we came across and really related to was 
a lot of our friends were sinking into kind of the, I have to be like this person in order to be successful. So think about, you know, somebody's getting into cybersecurity. They say, I need to be Brian Krebs or else, you know, I'm not going to be successful in that space. Um, So what we wanted to create, we wanted to bring together both the story aspect and the relationship aspect of you need to grow into who you are and then meet other people in the middle so that you can have a successful, prosperous relationship. Um, so we laid out, you know, 12, 13 chapters on, you know, some of the lessons that we learned along our journey, some, you know, stories around those lessons, and then some exercises they can do to implement it. It's just kind of the athletic mindset of us is, you know, if you know you have to do something, but you don't know how to actually implement it and take action on it, a lot of times it's going to flail out. So we, we kind of centered the book around that more conversational storytelling. Um, we're both huge readers, both um, from the occupations we have, mine being cybersecurity, as well as the personal growth side. Um, so coincidentally, you know, we published it right in front of um, when COVID was was really coming into play. And it was a book that we went out to the market with on if you're going through a transition, this book may be able to benefit you in some way. Um, have been able to so- sell about a thousand copies up to this point. It's been put into a curriculum at Villanova University. Um, and we're just kind of taking it to, um, you know, both build a brand around it, but just show kind of, you know, what we look at people need to value when it comes to building relationships, um, you know, building their skill set and do it in, in the right fashion. That's fantastic. And I think uh, what you stated earlier, of like you, you have to grow into what you want to be, but then meet people halfway. Yeah. That's that's a secret. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> I think that that works in many aspects of life, not just cybersec, right? It's it's a rule that can be applied to most anything that you're trying to achieve. And and it's a it's a key key, no pun intended, to, to success. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, know. it is, Manoj. So, you know, we're down to the last couple of minutes here, Greg. It's, it's your floor. What what do you want our listeners to know about? What do you have going on? What's up and coming? Any new talks, books? What what do you want to share? It's your yeah audience. yeah. So so the team here at Valor is actually working on a book. Um, going through the the publishing process initially, I was able to kind of see how things were laid out. Um, we want to come out with a a book of some sort that wraps together how technology is evolving in this world and is it potentially evolving you know quicker than we're able to secure it and be able to give some actionable roadmaps and recommendations for organizations um, we recently came out with our annual report which we're going to do each year called the annual digital risk report for leaders what we've tried to do there is really take a lot of the data and insights that we gain on our assessments and hopefully lay it out in a digestible fashion for the executive and folks who are responsible for making the decision I think a lot of times, you know, organizations focus on the IT manager, the IT security manager, and the CISO, which I think those folks are the ones that need a lot of support when it comes to going up to the board. Um, But we've tried to structure it where it can benefit, you know, the CISO, but also the CEO, the COO, where they're looking at making these decisions. They need to know what's out there in a simple fashion. Um, So I definitely recommend checking that out. Um, We, you know, Definitely, we have a five-minute cyber update podcast right along that avenue. We want to give bite-sized Fantastic. chunks to folks where um, they can they can benefit from it on their day ahead, which is not going to be centered around cybersecurity most of the time. Right. Um, you know, a couple, couple events and things that, that we typically attend. Um, we're actually going to a conference called the uh, Crypto Business Conference, which is in okay. um, San Diego this year. And, and really, there's a lot of excitement around where these technologies are going. 
And, but there's nobody at the table talking about the potential risks that come along with it. Um, and we want to be, you know, in those conversations, you know, not just as, you know, somebody who is, is one of your, um, you know, vendors or partners, but somebody that you can ask questions to continuously. And we want to be somebody that folks can go to when they have questions. Um, and, and there's not a, a big billable hour behind um, that answer, if that makes sense. So um, oh, we would, would definitely mention a couple of those. You know, I think we're just really excited about, you know, where the practitioner side of things are headed as well, you know, matching up the workforce aspects um, through great apprenticeship programs, um, you know, making sure that that we can help empower practitioners to bring some of those conversations up to the board level and, and make it kind of a successful outcome at the end of the day. So that's fantastic. I'll tell you what, Greg, this has been fantastic. Thank you for you. You provided some real knowledgeable gems here that we can that are actionable and that are usable. And, and don't be a stranger here. You know, if you, you put another book out or you got something new happening, drop in uh, for five minutes. Say hello. Let everybody know what's going on. Would we always be happy to get uh, your advice, advice and guidance? Yeah, it's my pleasure, Manoj. Thanks for having me on. And uh, hopefully this has a great impact on your listeners. Thank you so much, Greg.